Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talkhouse Podcast. This week we've got Sharon Van Etten in conversation with Jamie Stewart of the band Shushu. As you'll hear in the talk, the two were introduced by producer John Congleton, who recommended Stewart as a musical contributor to Van Etten's last album, 2019's Remind Me Tomorrow. Now, Shushu has been making music since the early 2000s, releasing more than a dozen albums that share a certain negative intensity. Stewart pours his pain and anger into songs that are often intensely personal and confrontational, on albums like 2010's Dear God, I Hate Myself. It's not easy listening, but it can be intensely rewarding. The latest Shushu album, made with his longtime collaborator Angela So, is made up entirely of duets. They gather the likes of Owen Pallett, Alice Bagg, and Chelsea Wolfe to sing along on this latest set called Oh No, which also finds Stuart lightening up a bit, admitting in a press release that he used to think the ratio of beautiful to shitty humans was 1 to 99, but now he's up to 60-40 in favor of the beautiful. Another contributor to the Shushu Duets album is Van Etten herself, who provides vocals on the haunting album opener, Sad Mescalita. Let's hear a little bit of that one right now. What were you doing there? So unanxious to be liked. Maybe because you were tired. Van Etten has been releasing records for more than a decade herself, building an incredible catalog around her confessional, a word she's not super fond of, songs. In addition to five fantastic albums, she's been acting lately as well, including a performance in an intense drama about abortion access called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Next month, we'll see a deluxe reissue of Van Etten's 2010 album Epic, which will include an array of great names covering Sharon's songs, including Fiona Apple, Idols, Courtney Barnett, Shamir, Lucinda Williams, and more. It's a hell of a lineup. And on April 16th and 17th, you can watch an epic-centered concert and documentary. Check SharonVanEtten.com for details. In their cheerful chat, these two writers of sad songs talk about gear, songwriting, the rigors of the road, and how their families react to their ultra-personal material. Warning, there is some talk about vomit as well. Enjoy. How are you? I'm all right. I had too much to drink yesterday. It put me in a bad mood. I haven't been drinking much lately. Went a little over the top. Took me to a little bit of a dark pit, so. Oh, but you got to get there sometime. I guess. I don't know. I've I've been in there enough. I'm getting bored of that place, frankly. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, you guys again. Has that been harder during this time? I feel like it's been harder for me. Yeah. Even if I believe that the answer is no, I'm sure that subconsciously the answer is glaringly yes. Right. Part of it is touring, which also brings that out. When I'm on tour, usually, if I'm singing, mm-hmm. I have a sort of feeble voice. I'm basically generally in a much better headspace when I'm on tour than I'm at home because I'm, you know, I'm not taking any drugs. I'm not drinking at all. What's that like for you? Do you get more unraveled or do you, you feel more together on tour? I think it's changed over the years, but the last run I did was the most together I've ever been. I brought my son on the road the last time, but we found a Manny to come on the road that would take him in the afternoons, bring him to our sound checks. I would finish my set and then I would go back 
to bed and take put him down, read a story, and right, have, right, right, right. have a glass of wine and read before the band got back. <laughs> <laughs> Which when does that happen? So I, I got to a good place by the end of nineteen with that. That's being on tour is sort of ridiculous and dumb mess used yeah. most of the time. Was that? But I guess it seemed like it put things in order for you. That's good. Yeah. Was that less fun or was it more fun or was it like? It was a nice way to look at touring in a different way. And I think it helped everybody else step up too, like to come together, not just for the music, but to come up with ideas of things to do and like to engage in a playful way in the mornings and for him to see what I do, because he won't be able to just go after a certain point. So figured while I can. (laughs) That's cool. Well, so how we met was that I played a little bit on your last record and then played a couple early shows of that record with you. I do remember flying into the Denver airport and loading out guitars and a stroller and cars <laughs> at the airport. I was like, this is pretty adorable. I had so much fun playing with you. Here, you here. were so down. I think when I talked to Congleton about what I was looking for, John Congleton, who introduced us and made the record remind me tomorrow we were looking for a wild card jamie (laughs) (laughs) i knew that i wanted synth driven tracks to support the songs that i had created that didn't really have much instrumentation yet and i didn't know how to explain other than like just dark wild synth and man you performed (laughs) that's probably john making fun of me he's like who's Who's the grossest loser that I could think of? Like, oh, right, Jamie, of course. <laughs> that record, it to my ears, I mean, there was, in the best possible way, incredibly good, very classic songwriting. And like any of those songs could exist just on piano or just on guitar. But the arrangements seem much more texturally based as opposed to harmonically based, which from what I know of your other records is a different approach. So what brought you to that zone with it? Well, At the time I was writing a lot of the songs, I was sharing a space with somebody that had keyboards in the basement that we shared together. It was the first time I had been in a space that I had shared that had instruments I didn't really know about. There's a Jupiter 4, there is a CX-3 organ, which actually I inherited, which is behind me. It's kind of nice to approach something not knowing how to play it because you're not playing it from like this technical perspective. You're kind of just fucking up and making mistakes. Those are the sounds I ended up liking that I I had a hard time returning to. (laughs) Like, John, what is this sound? I know that I made it on the Jupiter 4, but I can't find it again. That's a cool part about synths, especially classic synths like that, is you may lose it in a moment. So Mm -hmm. you better get to it. Or it's a good thing you recorded it in the first place. How did you get started in the synth world? It was right off the bat. Drum machine. I mean, I I'm kind of like a functional, I play guitar, right? But it's it's more of like I play it to write songs on. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, my dad got me a drum machine, uh, which I still have the Elisa's HR-16B, super garbagey, trashy sounding drum machine. He was an incredibly gifted guitar player and arranger. He could tell that I was driven by music, but I didn't have a ton of technical aptitude or much technical aptitude. And I think he was trying to think of things that I could make music on that wouldn't require years and years of, of practice. So he got me this drum machine when I was in 11th grade or something, which is a pretty decent prize for a yeah. teenager. And I started writing 
And the cool thing about that drum machine is you can tune the different sounds, which now is really normal, but at the time it was a newer technology. It had like a little bell sound and you could make like a little scale with them, but they're not exactly in tune. So I started using that as to start writing songs on and then figured out what MIDI was and it kind of took off from there. And, you know, I mean, I, I totally love all kind of, since I was really little, like all kind of classic synth music or like British synth pop kind of stuff. And I, I still am totally obsessed with that. Not a lot has changed since I was 16, basically. I can still barely play, but I like making weird sounds and organizing them into some kind of song or other. Mm-hmm. Bearing that in mind, like what what's like, uh, you know, you have really cool guitars and the Jupiter is a very special, nice synth and you're very thoughtful about your pedal choices. And I can see you have probably, I'm guessing that's a Ludwig drum set behind you. Is that it? But that my son drew all over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you have cool and good grown up gear. Is gear something that you just sort of deal with because you've got it because that's what makes sounds? Or do you find individual parts of equipment or types of equipment inspiring insofar as playing or, or writing? I feel like it's, it's a little of both. Some days I get bored of an acoustic guitar. Sometimes I play a certain kind of acoustic guitar and it's more inspiring. But I feel like I've picked pieces up along the way that mean a lot to me. Some sound great, some don't, but I'm also sentimental, you know? I'm still learning what I like. I don't do a lot of research. I'm afraid to touch other people's gear or ask questions about what people play because I feel like that's so personal. Like, what is that? What's your whole chain there? Like, I'm like, I feel like I, I need to pay my dues and do the work myself. That's like the first question I ask people. Hi, and then I'll just stick my stupid <laughs> face into their pedal board and just like take a surreptitious steal all, all their ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't use pedals that much, but when I do, it's like the distortion on the delay. So I've kind of stayed true to that. When I was working on one of my records, Tramp, with Aaron Desner, he was playing a Jag, and he let me use it for the record, and I fell in love with it. But I hadn't really played electric guitar before you know i was acoustic guitar like classical guitar i had a hollow bodied that um an ex helped me picked out that i loved i still have what hollow body was that what was it i um, really love hollow bodies too yeah it's an es-135 gibson oh i have an es-137 it's one oh, of my favorite guitar which is almost the exact same guitar so it's sentimental but also represents the time and so there's certain songs that i wrote in that era where i'm like yes this is my epic guitar <laughs> but my fender jag is the tramp record and you know my keyboards tend to be like the remind me tomorrow record but i feel like every album is a different chapter of my life and what i'm going through personally but also how i'm learning to branch out musically you know i know exactly what you're talking about different pedal setups are like okay that was for that record this one's for this record i can look back to all of them the same way that's pretty cute like <laughs> so uh, you're working on some new stuff you what's your sort of vibe in terms of following that train of thought what's what's your or do you have one yet it's kind of all over the place but as i've been writing i found that I'll do a drum beat on the Sequential Circuits uh, drum tracks guy, and I'll just let it run. Which and then I'll, is it? It's the, the drum tracks. It sounds kind of like your Elisis, but I think it's like actual sampled drum sounds. And so they're all individual, but you can program a oh, beat. Cool. I only do like basic beat and let it run through. But if you spent like a whole, you can track it for a whole song if you wanted to and have it change. But like for me, it's more of like a writing tool. 
I just have it running through my synth lines so I can play keyboards while that's going at the same time, or I can oh. let it run and play piano. And so I'll have a drum beat and I'll have a chord progression and I'll sing over it and then I'll add a drone. So like, it's kind of like beat, drone, some kind of keys and like my vocal and all different tempos. But mood wise, I'm just every day I'm like, I don't know what I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm all over the place. I'll have like an intimate acoustic song with a tambourine you know, while singing like Scott Walker. And then I'll have a super dark song that I'm like, I I hear cocktail guitar eventually. I'm kind of figuring out what world I want them to live in right now because they are all over the place. But maybe it's okay that they're all over the place. That's the most terrifying, but the most sort of fun part of making records to me. When I'm done with one thing, I really immediately start to dream about what the next for the next one will be. That's a, that's a cool spot to me. Do you like being on that spot or is it, or is it <sighs> nerve wracking not knowing I, exactly what it is? I think finding the conviction is hard and also knowing who you want to work with and also yeah, yeah, feeling yeah. like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like I'm so out of touch and I'm just like, I, I think what I'm doing is cool and interesting, but it's weird. How do you know when you've written a group of songs that you want to live together before you go to make this thing? In the last probably 10 years, it's been pretty regimented, the 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 sort of schedule and approach. I think when we started out, we would just write whatever. And we're like, okay, we these are the 10 songs we wrote this year. That's the next record. And we didn't put a ton of, a lot of thought ahead of time. At, at times worked really well and at other times didn't work super well. And then we kind of entered like chapter two or, or whatever. And through, actually through Congleton's advice, he, he was working on kind of like a, meandery pop record we did and then he said how about for the next one you do one that's heavily inspired by suicide who i really like but i had never really thought about doing any record that was kind of had a like a sonic anchor essentially or like mm -hmm. a palette and since then all of them have in, in one way or another sort of had a palette before we really start working on something we'll talk about the palette will be with a vibe or some constraint essentially and then we'll begin to work from that and it doesn't always exactly fit into it i don't really want to use the word concept because the subject matters of the songs don't really ever have a concept particularly oh that's not true we did one the last the two records ago that had a total concept i'm babbling anyway so <laughs> and we write we write and record too so it's it's not i like i've never done demos it's kind of always always the other way around like the, the ideas sorted out first and then the writing will come after that do your lyrics happen simultaneously as you're writing or does that come later it's really like crazily disorganized it'll just be like a couple of lines there's just piles of disorganized notebook sorts of things and then once the songs are done it's sort of like yanking out of the spaghetti of the messy ideas and trying to turn them into songs but we want to have some connection between the linear narrative thought process of writing lyrics along with the mushy emotional process of writing the songs happening at the same time so they they can live together nicely but I'm not great at melodies, so it's not like when I'm writing some chords or some sounds, the melodies will just come. That's the hardest struggle for me at the end. How are yours? Do they have them kind of cohesively together or is it in, in chunks? I definitely find more of the melody first and phrasings. And there's like a couple words and phrases in that stream of conscious figuring out of the melody that I'll keep or will inform what it will be about. Lyrics are the hardest part for me. And then figuring out the, the universe that it eventually lives in. When I was singing on your song, I was like, 
I was peeing my pants because your your phrasings are so complicated. A lot of people complain. I'm not Italian. complaining, by the way. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I want to meet you. And I, you know, I was just like, they're so beautifully complex. And, and it, it felt like Cadence was like a conversation and like hurried speech and just very intense. And I, I wanted to meet you. <laughs> I, was, I will nailed it. At, at no point did it ever seem like you were doing anything other than singing it beautifully. And to pee on so the floor. Thanks again. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I have no problem with that at all. Live. Be yourself. Do what you got to do where you got to do it, bud. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of which, so Internet World, Sharon and I sang a duet together called Sad Mescalita. So Angela just finished the video that for it uh, that you're in. Oh, the day man. yesterday. It's very noir. It's very gothy. It seems kind of got some like, I guess noir is probably, that was, that's what she was going for is kind of horror movie noir stuff. It turned out really good. You look, I'm you look so like excited that, like, because like, <laughs> I was like, well, I, you're like, I don't know, just like maybe wear black or something. And I was like, well, that's no problem. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but I, I have a feeling that I, I had a neighbor or two like poke their head out like after the spotlight. <laughs> what is something happening? I'm excited to see it. It was fun. She's she doesn't mess around. She's a well she's a super organized person. <laughs> it's I think it's one of the reasons we get along is we were both firstborn kids and both of our parents were kind of crazy, so had to be more responsible for familial cohesiveness than a child normally should have to be. But I think the upside is because of that as adults. We got lists. We have lists. We got timetables. Oh, yeah. We're ready. We're, are, we're you both ready. are you post it people? Oh, indeed. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's funny putting out a record in, in plague times. In some ways, it's kind of fascinating. Normally, I would have spent the last couple of months getting ready to tour and relearning the songs and figuring out live arrangements and sorting out a lineup and everything. I know that we finished a record and I know it's coming out, but yeah. I kind of forgot how it goes. I had to do a track by track interview for it. And I was like, oh my God, I don't fucking remember anything. <laughs> I had to like call my iPod and listen to everything uh -huh. really quick to try to remember what it was. I know we put in everything we had on the record and it's way more so than usual, completely mm -hmm. out of our hands at this point because we can't even like deal with it through touring. Which I thought would make me a little crazy, but I just, it just feels nice to not be, to not have, it's not that we don't have responsibility towards it or for it, but to be able to think about new things much sooner than usual and to feel to a degree less pressure. Cause you know, when you're on tour, you have like, you make the record and then you have another chance to try and prove that it has the right to exist on planet earth, <laughs> but we just made it and we're like, okay, well, I hope. Somebody gets some out of it. We've done all we can. I mean, videos kind of are like another attempt at proving something's right to live. But um, I don't know. I feel like off the hook. How has been doing interviews about it? I think when we worked on it, it was before before COVID. Yeah, well, right before. Yeah, you and uh, Alice Bag were the only people that we didn't do it with. Or Angela sang on it too, but she lives here. Even people who live in LA had to do it over email. I kind of preferred it because I think it allowed people to be freer with what they ended up doing. You know, because I'm not like an art artist. I was like standing eight feet away from you or something, you know? So there's the conscious or subconscious pressure to try to get it right. Um, but if you're alone, then there's no one to, to go like, oh yeah, that was good. Well, hopefully it's been 
nice reflecting on it as you're revisiting them now. Regardless of the times, like when you're making a record versus having to talk about it, it feels like therapy, like really acknowledging what songs are about or what my intentions were like post fact. Like sometimes it doesn't really reveal itself until later. I don't know if you have that. I have that, that same experience. Like we'll be making it and someone will say it. So what's like, how did this come together? And that it, it's only at that moment that I, it comes together in my mind as to how things came together or what particular things mean, which I think a lot of, I think a lot of people who write songs talk about not being completely clear as to what it is about at the time. Only when somebody professionally forces you to talk about it, you really have to think about it. Have you had realizations about Sad Mescalita? That one, I had a pretty good idea about what it was going to be about. But a lot of the other ones, it wasn't until afterwards. I'll have, I'll have a layer of what I think something is about. And then just through having to articulate it to somebody who asks a very fair question, such as what is your fucking record about? <laughs> which is not unreasonable. Do you feel comfortable telling people what songs are about? I guess it depends on what the songs are about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I still struggle with like that. I'm trying to learn like when to talk about things because obviously when you're a musician, you, you, you speak from a pretty personal place, but at what point do you need to protect yourself or the people around you? Because it is personal and I've always written from a personal place, but I think at a certain point I'm like, okay, maybe this is too much information and I'll let other people connect with it, how they connect with it without trying to be an asshole about it, you know? Because I want to be like, I'm going to let the songs speak for themselves. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I get that too, but what's the middle ground without exposing yourself too much? I'm still learning those boundaries. Yeah, it's a tough one because it's a fair question for somebody to ask what something is about, but it's not important to me in any way that somebody relate to something in the same way that I relate to it. I mean, I'm a big music nerd and a big music fan and read a ton of music biographies and sometimes I'm disappointed when a song that I have loved forever and has held a special particular place in my heart I'll you know learn it's about like Cheetos or something you know and I like I, I really needed it to be about something else for that reason I don't want to push a song and, and to or narrow what its possibilities have the potential mm -hmm. to be but at the same time people ask so it, it can't be like every single time I dodge the question <laughs> although periodically I'll just fully dodge it but we have that right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a weird job i kind of wish i had a... a band name at some point i started off with my name and now i'm just stuck with it that's a lot of that's a ton of responsibility on your end i know that you write primarily by yourself but you work with a ton of different players all the time and it, it takes a lot of pressure off one's heart to have your sort of your public vibe be more spread out but there is no hiding behind the band name Sharon at all. <laughs> I just apologize to all my family who has been reached out to by people that I don't know oh holy cats <laughs> I didn't even think about that wow Oh, wow. I mean, there are a lot of Van Ettens in the world, though, because Van means from, and Etten is a town in the Netherlands. There are no shortage of James Stewart's in the world. <laughs> but everyone's findable now, so. Oh, yeah, true enough. Yeah. It's um, another conversation altogether. <laughs> yeah. So this kind of goes back a little bit to both of these things. So your songs are super personal, which I think is fantastic. It's, I think, the best part about your music. But I know you're also real tight with your family. So has it ever been problematic? At the beginning, when I started playing out and 
singing these confessional, I love that fucking word, uh, songs. Be my, proud of confessional. <laughs> confessional, man. <laughs> uh, what am I confessing? I'm just talking. Uh, but my mom was worried. She's like, aren't you, are you think you're sharing too much? And I'm just like, I don't, I actually don't know. But this is what I'm writing and this makes me feel better. And people seem to be responding to it in their own way. So in a way, I just felt like, okay, if people are connecting, then I'm doing something right. But I have family members that they hear a song and they think, again, it's about something totally different. I think it's like a really sad song and they, they think it's really happy. And like, right, right, right. And I think they're a bit overwhelmed with what I've written about and how honest I am, but they also know that that's who I am as well. I've had to even talk to my family about getting people into shows that they don't know and like <laughs> talking to fans and like, you know, they brought 10 people in and like, uh, I just, just learning how I want them to engage and I want them, their support means everything, but then I worry about their safety just as much as they worry about mine. I'm really close with my mom and brother and sister, and I don't want them to know anything about band stuff at, at all. <laughs> like, I really need to be able to go down whatever weird, dark rabbit hole that the muse is forcing my face into, mm -hmm. and then have like tacos with my mom and not be worried at all that she knows way more about me than you ever want your mom to know about you. Right. What so was I, that? I, asked, well, <laughs> I talked to my brother a little bit more about it. But he's a designer so and is more artsy-fartsy, so I can be a little freer with it. It doesn't freak him out as much, but I just pointedly asked my mom and my sister, just please, please don't look at anything on the internet. Let's just have this cute little family relationship. It was terrible when I was a kid. Now things are great. We all get along really well. It was horrible then, but now things are nice. My mom was not super cool about it in the beginning mm -hmm. um, and would snoop around and stuff and get freaked out. And I had to be like, I, I told you, what do you expect? <laughs> she learned boundaries better mm -hmm. now, which is good. Yeah. But you've been Googled yeah, by right. your mother. I don't doubt it. Oh my God, something really fucking funny happened. <laughs> Uh, so my bandmate, Angela, her family is super, 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 super traditional and not involved in art world at all, really. About 10 years ago, we did this song about issues with eating disorders, which is something that Angela dealt with a lot. And one of the things that she's able to do is she can make herself barf whenever she wants. So the entire video is us, us just standing against the wall and Angela forcing herself to barf for the, the duration of the song and at the end she barfs on me so <laughs> sorry uh, it's many many it's funny i mean i think it's i think she's like she's oh and the most horrible part is it took three takes to get it so she fucking <laughs> thing three times and yet she still lives so you know angela sort of deals with all of the things that go along with that just in kind of like mm -hmm. a you know music world capacity and then several years later, she gets her dad a smartphone and I'm thinking, oh, buddy, you do not want your dad on the internet. And uh, not long after this, her dad finds this video <laughs> of his beautiful daughter 
barfing her brains out for three and a half minutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he, he obviously thought that this was all, he's generally pretty nice to me, but he thought this was, of course, all my fault and he didn't talk to me for like a year. <laughs> oh my God. Well, what, what were his main concerns? <laughs> I think he wasn't concerned. I think he was just grossed out, you know? I mean, you don't want to see your kid do what you have to he was just like, this is not art. What are you doing? Why? Why, why do you think this is art? As much as he was concerned. It's mostly aesthetics. About, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> about, his, uh, about what, you know, his, his daughter's. Without realizing was. that it was actually probably very therapeutic for her. Uh, you know, I got to ask her. I don't, I don't know. I will say it was her idea um, in no way. <laughs> you were just supporting her. I support any sort of extreme, mm-hmm. ridiculous ideas. So, particularly, uh, is like she this. pretty? <laughs> is she pretty hands on with the video, like all the videos? Then, because she oh, yeah, she does all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't, I don't have anything to do with them. I'm bad at being on camera, and it just stresses me out. But she really likes it. Like, she enjoys inhabiting another self, mm-hmm. kind of creating, creating characters and creating scenes. She's done a bunch of shoot videos, and has done a bunch for other bands. She's getting really good at them. So the label, as labels do, have said, well, can you please have the singer in this video? He hasn't been in the last 10 videos, <laughs> which is, you know, again, not unreasonable. I get it. I get it. So, um, <laughs> so she's figured out ways to sort of stick me in there to where I, I don't whine about it too much. And also that I don't feel uncomfortable or have a bad time. We do share a lot of the same taste in movies and are in cinema generally so we're we're able to talk about them yeah ahead of time and then i'll start to tell her what my ideas are and then she gets bored and frustrated with my lame ideas and sort of nods her head and then just does what she's gonna do and <laughs> yeah, we said, oh, great. it's like working with a great producer if you trust that person mm-hmm. to, to take it someplace it makes it makes your your art life a million times easier because you can you can be part of it and it could be, you can become a genuinely collaborative thing you don't have to stay on somebody's case and you can become excited with their different ideas. And you're at your most vulnerable too, whether it oh, be yeah, yeah, yeah. in the songs, but it's like also like as a performer, you're just kind of like, well, I, I do that. Like, this is what I do. And I, I prefer not to see myself, like what the faces I do when I'm in my own world. But then the video world is this whole other place. Cause you're like, how do I pretend to act like I'm comfortable in my own body? You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> to define like 90% of my entire business with that, with that sentence. Thank you. <laughs> But like having your bandmate understand your feelings and insecurities and being able to collaborate is not many people have that. So yeah, we have kind of like live have a pretty revolving lineup. Annoyingly, studio wise, it's been a lot of the same people for almost the whole time, and that 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 being able to be open with somebody and trust them and count on them, and to be able to be emotionally free around somebody, that's a valuable thing to be able to find. I know you got to go shortly, but there was only one question that they specifically asked that we asked each other. And that was, what are some duets that you like as this, this is brought about by our duet, this conversation? What was the Susie Quattro I saw recently, actually? Oh my God, I forgot all about her. Is she still doing stuff? I don't think so. That, she was, she was killing it for years. Oh, but it was, I'm a, glad you reminded me of her. It was a reference because I sang on a Jack Ladder song and he referenced the, like if we did a duet years ago and he, he sent me the Susie Quattro duet. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't know the male singer. She, I'm very embarrassed that I don't have, wrong with have it on him, but like, you know, for someone that's like, 
she's such a badass. Like she's just, and she's to sing kind of something that, you know, is inherently traditional or a classical idea, but then like throw her own performance on top of it. That was interesting. I would say that Lee Hazelwood and, and Nancy, like that is always like a winning. Yeah. Cause she's so sweet and he's so dark and more spoken. And you're kind of like, what is this relationship here? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime that comes across in a duet, there's this uh, this P.J. Harvey McCabe duet called Henry Lee, and they did it at the time that they were dating. And I mean, they're two of my number one favorites. Because that was the Murder uh, Ballads, right? On the Murder Ballads record, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Although they are two of my absolute favorites, it's it's a really good song. But you know, it's not. It wouldn't be like in my top twenty for for either of them. Although it's really good. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I really like about them, especially from the video is you look at them singing, you, all you can think about is like, oh my God, they're totally fucking right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that and energy is really, palpable. Yeah, it really comes across. <laughs> There's some like live TV thing they're almost making out and it doesn't look like they're just, they're, you know, they're trying to be like sexy. It looks like they're just completely consumed by lust. And, um, you know, I mean, the song, it's murder ballad, you know, I mean, it's a sexy song at all. But no. they're so... So perverted about it. It's, yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'm sure that the Nancy Lee Hazelwood stuff like that is, there's, there's probably some, some goo happening. <laughs> oh, man. Like something definitely not like, you know, differently cool. But my, my I remember when my sister, she was like the first to get married. And she was always kind of a, a little bit of a weirdo. Shockingly so, huh? Her song was Islands in the Stream. And it was a uh... oh Angus Andrew who from Liars who is on this duet's record also uh, he brought that up as his favorite duet. I'll forever connect that song with my sister getting married. <laughs> it was like everyone was kind of thrown for a loop, and we never know when she's joking because she's so silly. She's like a principal of an elementary school. She was one of the the oldest siblings. I'm one of five, so she's always the caretaker that had to joke about stuff to make it seem manageable or something uh yeah so that was like her wedding song it's like okay this says so much about you and now this is forever (laughs) forever ingrained in my spirit of you that's pretty cute another one that i totally love actually relates to my sister also who is a teacher too she and i are both really big otis redding fans and there's otis redding and carla thomas did a uh did a duet called tramp which you should relate to having a record called tramp (laughs) But it's just, it's basically like a diss song. They just make fun of each other the entire time. It's pretty adorable. <laughs> and it was clearly done in one take, you know, like the band sounds great and they're singing really well, but like, you know, Otis Redding's like way off mic at some time. You can kind of barely hear him. You know, he zooms back into it. But around the holidays, we always get together and she and I get drunk and we'll sing it to each other. And her, her kids hate it. <laughs> and they're old enough now that we have started including like mean Verses about them in the song. Aw, that's a nice Sisters tradition. Sisters are good for duets. Aww, it's, yeah. I love well, that. Well, I know you got a split. Um, it's nice, nice to see your face. I'm it's, glad we got to talk. Thank it's you. It's so nice to I see really you. It. Of course, I'm excited for for the song to come out this week. Thanks for even wanting me to be a part of it. You are one of my favorite singers in the entire world. It was such a pleasure. You sound so beautiful. I'm really glad we got to do it. Thanks for listening to the Talk House podcast and thanks to Sharon Van Etten and Jamie Stewart for chatting. 
If you like what you heard, make sure to follow TalkHouse on your favorite social media and or podcasting service. This episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.